where three women with names discuss movies that are about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. So this is our first episode of Season 2 of Paid in Puke. Welcome to to Series 2. Season 2. We're British. (laughs) Clearly we're British. Obviously. We're back in time for Galentine's Day to watch Muriel's Wedding, which is a film from 1994. Oh, I bet you thought it was <laughs> It was ahead of its time. <laughs> it's written and directed by P.J. Hogan and starring Tony Collette. And it was P.J. Hogan's second feature. His first feature was something that was very Australian sounding. I forget. <laughs> exactly. A fun fact about PJ Hogan is that his first name is Paul, as in Paul oh. Hogan. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. He couldn't go by that name professionally for all these reasons. And he's also known for directing My Best Friend's Wedding, which came out in 1997. Muriel's Wedding tells the story of a social misfit from an Australian beach town called Porpoise Spate, <laughs> who embezzles money from her weird family to follow her frenemies on vacation in the hopes of finding love and a way out of her dissatisfying life. <laughs> Heslop? No. Muriel Heslop had a dream. <laughs> Looks like I'm next. <laughs> to get married. Only one thing stood in her way. No one's ever gonna marry you. You've never even had a boyfriend. Muriel's on the doll. You never wear the right clothes. You mental case! You keep away from us! Reality. Then one day, Muriel met Rhonda. Rhonda changed my life. Stick your drink up your ass, Tanya. I would rather swallow razor blades than drink with you. Oh, by the way, I'm not alone. I'm with Muriel. Who showed her that dreams can come true. And that anything can happen. This is my new life. I'm a new person. Back at Paul Smith with me. You can't go back. I'm a new person. You're a thief. Are you on the run from the law? You're terrible, Muriel. You're invited to the wedding of the year. Muriel's wedding. Sophie Lee. I'm a bride. Matt Day. Parking inspector. Bill Hunter. I'm unemployed. Chris Haywood. Muriel. Daniel LePayne. Rachel Griffiths. Have you been in a coma? And Tony Collette as Muriel. Or is it Mariel? Muriel's Wedding. Mariel. You're beautiful. Success is the best revenge. I had never seen this movie before. I, <laughs> I thought I had for some reason. I'm not sure why. I thought maybe I had, maybe just because I've heard so many people talk about it. And because it has 
some similar thematic things to Priscilla Queen of the Desert, which I really love and have seen many times. And, and you guys have seen it. Yeah. And yes, that's right. Bill Hislop. Right. <laughs> um, Bill the Battler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a little Aussie Battler. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry for our bad accents, which will certainly pepper this entire episode. <laughs> it's happening. Buckle in. <laughs> You guys have seen it many times. Oh my gosh, yes. It's my favorite movie of all time, I would say. I have it memorized. It's definitely the movie I saw the most times in the theater. I saw it at least eight times in the theater. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, guys. That's a lot. Not a lot of flex, but... I mean... That's impressive. Yeah. (laughs) I I saw it, like, maybe four times in the theater. Well, I used to save my movie ticket stubs, and I've tried to find them, but I... Yes, I must have gotten rid of them. Yeah, my <laughs> friends and I loved seeing this movie and would quote it all the time in high school and beyond. I never get tired of watching it. I love it. Yeah, yeah I had a really good time. It was a little bit of a rough entry. I'm just like, what's going on with this family? <laughs> I don't understand. They don't really ever explain it. She's just got this strange group of siblings, and there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. And a obviously very chronically depressed mom... And her dad is a corrupt politician. They're sort of poor, but purporting to be a little bit richer than they are. I think they're, yeah, like the porpoise spit. uh, The dad is like this sort of big fish in a small pond type guy. And I think he's just basically a narcissist. There's just a lot of stuff going on with him. The mom is just chronically depressed, being like slowly ground to dust by the father. And the kids, they're losers to him. The dad is also very obviously having an affair. Yeah. Yeah. What a coincidence. Deidre Chambers. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. Deidre, pull up a chair. An LB shift out. It's pretty obvious from the beginning. It seems like he's this guy that thrives on his reputation and being like the savior for a small town, but he treats his family like shit. He just cares about himself. So has yeah. he done good things for the town, or is he just saying that he has? I think he has. When they're at the Chinese restaurant and the guy says, oh, he got my brother out of China. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, he's like, oh, you've done a lot for the people right? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a totally clear sense of what his actual career is. He seems like this good old boy type that just is like, well, I know this guy, and thrives on that. He can pull strings, and he knows everybody in the town, and mm-hmm. right. uses that. Like, he gives the cops a case of beer right, like to, like, a, yeah. help like, his... You know, and he knows the cop's dad. Yeah. I mean, I think he probably has done good for the people in the town, and the reason he does that is to build himself up. Yeah. It's not, like, because he's a good person. It's yeah. Because, you know, because he has political ambitions. Yeah. And so how many kids are there? Five. Five kids. The youngest kids are... Penelope and the other one. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> There's yeah. Perry. Well, Perry is is older, I think. This time around, man, I was really genuinely worried about Perry at the end of this movie. <laughs> it seems like there's three kind of older, like Muriel, mm-hmm. and then the, who was the sister? Joan and Perry. Yeah. And then there's the littler sister, Penelope, and then I never caught the other one's name. There's another I boy. Don't, yeah, there's another boy, like, he's playing soccer. Or He's got kind of curly hair. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I never catch his name. Or I didn't catch it this time. I yeah. 
And then she has the older sister that's just sort of like sits in her chair and smokes cigarettes. Yeah, she's watching TV. Okay. I think she's the oldest one. You're terrible, Muriel. It's an interesting family. It seems like they're just like a failure to launch thing with the kids or something. I don't know. Is there developmental delays or? I don't think that. I think what you're supposed to get from that is that they're so suffocated and stifled by their father who has always been disappointed in them mm-hmm. pretty much day one. I feel like you see it with Muriel. They're on the dole. They just lay around all day. They don't do anything. She doesn't even have a job. And then as soon as she gets out of there, she has a job. She's sharing yeah. an apartment with someone. They're so stifled by their dad constantly telling them that they're useless mm-hmm. and can't do anything. And is there an implication that he's dishonest a lot of, not just the affair, but because there's the part at the end where she's like, I became my dad. Right. And she's a pathological liar. Right. <laughs> so is he a pathological liar besides just the affair? I don't know. I mean, there is that point where they say, oh, they're saying he took bribes, but he only did that because <laughs> you stole all our money. Yeah, um. yeah, but that seems like a pattern of <laughs> blame. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, passing a buck. I don't know if I would, if I see him as a pathological mm-hmm. liar so much as just sort of like a not honest, not genuine person. To earn people's respect. Mm-hmm. And that's what Muriel learned from him. I think in Muriel's case, like, she's always, she's kind of, like, lying a lot because she she doesn't feel like she's worthy or good enough. And she's just, like, trying to chase this dream. The ultimate goal in her head is to get married and have a wedding. And, like, that's somehow winning. And she's sort of lied to get to that point where she can feel like she's an actual person and worth something. And then her dad is more of a narcissistic personality where everything is like a reflection of him. She felt like she was like him, but she wasn't actually like him, you know, like she was doing it to like prove like she... Yeah, I she's see a good it, person. Yeah, I see it more like she lies so much because she lives in a fantasy life because her real life is so different. You know, like yeah. she doesn't want to be who she really is because she's been told that who she really is is nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Useless. Where do you think she got the idea that getting married is the end game? Because her parents are not clearly not happy at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think in one, it's just sort of society. You know, she's got like all the photos for the magazine photos mm-hmm. of the brides and. I think she just gets that idea that it would be a validation from somebody else. Like, I feel like that's what she's looking for so much is external validation. Her friends mm-hmm. tell her that everything is wrong with her, or her family tells yeah. her everything's wrong with her. I feel like she really spells it out very She's like, if I can get married, it proves that I am not that person, you know, because who would want to marry me? I've always wanted to get married. If I can get married, it means I've changed. I'm a new person. How? Because who'd want to marry me? I think she lays that out really clearly. Because she doesn't have any desire for an actual marriage. Right. Not anything like that, but Sorry. just like, you know, it starts out at a wedding and everything is about Tanya mm-hmm. and the bride and yeah. it's a special yeah. And I think they, someone even says that to her because she catches a bouquet and there's like, come on, who's going to, no one's ever going to marry you. Yeah, no, it's so awful, right? so yeah. shitty. So, <laughs> that message comes out right there. It's not about marriage, it's about a wedding means that somebody would want to marry you, and mm-hmm. that is validating. Every time I watch it, I'm like so blown away that this was written by a man. I <laughs> know, <laughs> I am too. I'm like, this PJ secretly stand for it. <laughs> That's a very good point. For some reason, I didn't think of that, but you're right. That's, it is very surprisingly 
uh, nuanced <laughs> and sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even the bullies are a little bit nuanced <laughs> for, for mean girls. They, I think they are so funny. <laughs> yeah, they're hilarious. Let her finish her orgasm. <laughs> they're like trying to find the right time to tell her. People invite us to parties and they know we'll just have a good time. We're mad. Party, party, party. That's our image. You know what I mean. <laughs> We're mad. <laughs> we don't want you hanging around us anymore. She's like, you've got to find friends on your own level. Oh, God. He's up on my level. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so lucky. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> I love how quintessential Australian dude broke. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> if you said draw an Australian surfer guy, that's what he would be. He's long, curly, blonde. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty great. And you know, another another movie where like most of the men are not well developed at all. They're mostly just scenery or props. The only really well developed men are her dad and the swimmer. Right. It's the same. David Van Arkel. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a joke that didn't. I didn't get it at first. Somebody had to explain to me because I didn't know Chook was chicken or something and. Like oh, Austra- okay. and so like the joke where like you're married to oh turkey and she's like no it's chook married muriel told me turkey chook chook that's right i guess like chuck roast or something i don't chook yeah i is always chicken? thought it was just like that was how they say chuck like in their accent but it is like <laughs> that's his name and yeah his is chook I'll be honest, I was watching with the subtitles on, I wanted to make sure I got everything, and that's how I knew that his name was Chuck, because I could see it spelled out, but yeah, I probably would have thought it was Chuck, or... I know, I thought it was Chuck, too, yeah. yeah. That makes sense, because I did always wonder why she says turkey. Yeah. I wonder how many other things like that are in there that are just very Australian-specific that you just kind of gloss over. I did notice later on... Her dad says, refers to a chook raffle. Yeah. And then I was like, note to self, look up what chook means, but then I didn't. So I'm glad that you knew what it was. Because I was like, chook raffle, that, that guy. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Even that guy she meets in the video store is not well developed. He's just right. yeah. kind of a dweeb. Who, <laughs> and I've got to say, I was so stressed out when he opened the beanbag chair. <laughs> Before, yeah, and every one of those little fucking balls has okay. static yeah, cling they, on it. Uh, yeah, they stick <laughs> to everything. It sticks to everything. Like, you can't even put it in a bag. It starts flying out. It's just oh my god! <laughs> it's just like no. <laughs> I just love her laughter in that whole scene. Oh my god, she was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to find it online but I couldn't find any reference to this but somebody had told me the director had the actors that were naked they had sock puppets on their penises <laughs> and I guess <laughs> it made her it was oh, a surprise oh. and, it, and it made her that's why she was giggling even yeah, like she like her reaction was even more <laughs> boisterous <laughs> Hey lady, are you alright? I don't know, I wasn't oh. able to validate that online, but somebody told me that. I'm 
really like Way that. back then. <laughs> but kind of surprise for your actresses right, to give them yeah. like, a good reaction. <laughs> instead of slapping them, we can right. do something fun like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love those guys. I was really happy for Rhonda. Yeah. That's the end of that scene, of course. But I was right. just like, get it, girl. <laughs> I know, yeah. I love Rhonda. She is so instantly cool and likable. I love when you first meet Rhonda and she's like, <laughs> she's so great. Yeah. Stick your drink up your ass, Tanya. I would rather swallow razor blades than drink with you. Oh, by the way, I'm not alone. I'm with Muriel. I love it when she's like, Hey, swap seats. <laughs> so. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. I need to sit with her and catch up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have a really nice friendship, and I love the way it develops, and it's a very good depiction of an early yeah. 20s bestie mm-hmm. romance. One of the million things I love about this movie is that it shows how friendship can really change your life. It can be just as meaningful as yeah. a romantic relationship. How much that friendship just transformed her. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I cried a little bit. Yeah, during the whole like, wedding scene and their conversation. Oh, I know. I know. It's, it was so... You're, like, mad. I know. Yeah. Yeah, and the shitty mean girlfriends, they came back to her. And then she's like, I won. I showed them. Right. And she's like, They came show- back to me. I didn't call them. They oh, she didn't call me. them. And she, she views that as a victory. Like, right. That she's yeah. right, like, look how I won. They came mm-hmm. to me. These are terrible, shitty people. Yeah. yeah. You should not be proud of, like, now they approve of you. Although I do love Tanya's bangs. Especially in the bar scene. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Hashtag bangles. <laughs> and also she did a great job at the end where she yells, I'm beautiful and she makes I'm married. Oh, I'm beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married. I'm beautiful. Another character I really hated who only showed up a couple times but she was very pivotal is that fucking narc lady. <laughs> Oh, I know! The The senior store detective! The groom's cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that lady. The thing that happened with Muriel's mom and the shoes, like, she obviously didn't steal those shoes on purpose. I mean, anybody could tell that she's got something going on. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And she could have said, oh, like, excuse me, did you know you're still wearing those shoes? Or something, like, helpful instead of... Yeah. Instead of just waiting for her to leave and then, like, let's arrest her. I know. Yeah, that lady sucked. She's, yeah, total narc. (laughs) She just had it in for that family. I feel like it was very class-based. Like, I'm, I'm helping you by turning you in. Okay. <laughs> I hated her. <laughs> I mean, I always felt bad for the mom, but watching it recently, I just was like, oh my God. She's just slowly shrinking into nothing, yeah, you know? Yeah, very unappreciated. Yeah. She's so wrapped up in it. Her identity is with the kids. She's like, Dr. Farrell thinks your dad needs a holiday from us. Yeah, she's internalized. Like, she's internalized. Yeah, it's just so sad. Watching it as being older, I noticed that a lot more and how Muriel doesn't want to become that she needed to leave to avoid that you know yeah. avoid becoming that it's it so sad a very relatable place too in terms of just her being in the kitchen and everyone's asking for tea without saying please right and then you see that it's more than just 
there were a couple moments of yeah. not being appreciated. She has been relegated to this robot in the kitchen. A scapegoat and a person who does things for you. And like, don't fuck it up. Write a blank check, but don't fuck it up. You know, <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'll do this very risky thing. And also just writing them. I mean, <laughs> hot props, I guess. I know, I'm like getting teary just thinking about it. Shut up, hot props is on. Oh shit, yeah. I know it would set off the whole plot, but I was just like, would they be dumb enough to write a blank check for a person that they'd already said was useless, but even just anybody? I'm not sure there's anybody I would trust enough to be like, here's a blank check. So beside the beanbag chair for hot props, <laughs> my other main hot prop was when Rhonda leaves with her, they don't take any stuff. Oh. <laughs> they were at her house. Like, she right. didn't have a bag. She didn't have a purse. <laughs> I don't think she often had pockets. Anything at all. I'm yeah. like, don't you need, like, an ID or something? Like, <laughs> you can't just leave. Right. And then they're going really <laughs> far away. It's not like she's going up the road. They're going. Right. They're flying. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> My hot problem, the whole cancer thing is a little bit vague to me. <laughs> And then there's a tumor on her spine, and they take it out, and then later it's back. And the second time, they have to cut her spinal cord to remove it. Right. It seems like a first draft of, like, okay, here's what I want to happen, and then I'm not going to go check and make it yeah. sound at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. use the word of what the cancer is or whatever. Like, right, right. Like, <laughs> you know, I could see, like, you know, you're writing something, and you're like, okay, I'm going to fill in those blanks later. I'm going to talk to an actual doctor. <laughs> yeah. rehab scene did allow for the sweetest moment where she says you're my abba song right. my life is like an abba song i'm sure you could do a quote verbatim yeah. <laughs> do you want to give it a try and i'll uh, accent no i don't, I don't really do the accents but, since uh, i moved here i've not listened to so one I'm abba song because <laughs> my life is as good as an abba song it's, it's as, as good, good as, as dancing, dancing. Yeah. Yeah. when i lived in pauper spit i'd just stay in my room for hours and listen to abba songs Sometimes I'd stay in there all day. But since I've met you and moved to Sydney, I haven't listened to one ABBA song. It's because now my life's as good as an ABBA song. It's as good as Dancing Queen. Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> and another little hot problem, like Rhonda is so great. Why doesn't she have any other friends? That she had to move back to Porpoise Bit because she needed Muriel. She couldn't pay the rent by herself. She mm -hmm. couldn't do the shopping. What was she doing before she and Muriel moved in together? Because I thought she was already living in Sydney. I think she was. Right. She, yeah. And she was making enough that she could go on vacation to Hibiscus Island. So. Which is apparently very expensive. <laughs> $3,000 holiday. Yeah. And that's 1994 money, too. Right. <laughs> that is a little bit questionable. And now her life totally hinges on Muriel completely. And she's so friendly. Like, I can't imagine that Muriel was the first person she ever approached in that way. Right. How was she like... living before? There's some blanks that could be filled in. Like, maybe she just had a roommate, but it wasn't someone she was friends with, just a roommate situation or something. Mm -hmm. That is my question, is why she had to yeah. move back to Porpoise Bid because Muriel left and she couldn't take care of things on her own. But what was going on before that? Yeah. But you're right, it seemed like she didn't even know one other person. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
Next call. There's so many good lines in this. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Moby Dick, if you know what I mean. I loved the rice. Take a look at that dry cleaner. <laughs> and they have the jobs that are across the street from each other. And they're looking. Oh, what do you think of this dry so cleaners? Like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that is really cute. Yeah. I don't know how they set that up. but. Right. <laughs> I think my favorite line is when she asks the guy, are you black? <laughs> yeah, it's so unexpected and out there. Well, just as the South Africans seem to be doing the right thing by the blacks, the police opened fire on a black soccer club, and that is bad news for David. Are you black? She's not following his story at all. I know, she totally is acting like, oh yeah, I know exactly Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Story. I know why this would lead to, she's like, oh, that is bad news for David. <laughs> Are you black? <laughs> I love the their goodbyes to everything in the town, like, bye, that. ball. Bye, straight. Anybody could be that guy. Bye, ball. Not as young as music. Goodbye, Beach. Goodbye, Tyrus. Bye, Plaza. Goodbye, Southwest. See you, Sammy. See you, High Rises. Bye, Blackwood. Yeah, I do yeah. love that too. As a person who was jubilantly left a town. <laughs> yeah. Smell you later. <laughs> and then also at the end when Tanya is talking about Chuck got arrested. They accused him of raping a Japanese tourist, which is ridiculous. He hates the Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> They've accused him of raping a Japanese tourist, which is ridiculous. Chuck hates the Japanese. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. <laughs> That feels real. There is such weird casual racism in right. Australian culture. <laughs> right, like that kind of logic of like he wouldn't commit a crime against someone. He hates those people. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. He wouldn't commit a crime of hate. Right. I do like how they just kept saying how she couldn't type. Aww. It was like, yeah. like the worst yeah. thing in the world is you right. can't type. That's like one of my favorite lines is, you've really impressed me, you can't type, but you've really impressed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kind of reminds me of your virgin who can't drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I was like, why am I even listening to you to begin with? You're a virgin who can't drive. Oh, that was way harsh, Ty. I love the scene when she's trying on the bridal dress and the woman in the store is like, spring ivory you know because like that's what her wedding's gonna be and then we don't usually do this but your mom has to see and it's like this majestic music and they don't normally i know i'm like why do they not normally take a i know like this epic before everybody had cameras on them at all times they did do that why would they not normally do that Maybe just without putting down a down payment or something. Yeah. I mean, I think she might also just be saying that. Yeah. Know, to make it special. I always notice, and I'm very alarmed by when, in that scene, when they ask her what her fiancé's name is, and she says Bill, which is her dad's <laughs> oh, name. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. I mean, I feel like, unless it's so she's got her daddy issues, it bugs me every time. I don't know, I shouldn't just stick with Team Sims. I know. <laughs> I love the Tim Sims. That's don't so know. funny. Team Sims. That's such a perfect... George Glass, fake boyfriend. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> George Glass. George Glass. Another bridal shop line, actually, I wrote down. 
You can't come in here and threaten Bryce. <laughs> no, 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 just a minute. You can't come in here and threaten Bryce. I don't care how unfortunate you are. Fuck off. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. I did not go to a bridal shop at all because I don't like the way wedding dresses, traditional oh, wedding I know. outfits look. I wore a very non-traditional wedding outfit. No shade to anyone who does wear them. But I always imagined that that was kind of what it would be like. Just pushy sales ladies or sales ladies like fawning over you and being like, this is your special day. I had my dress custom made. So it was not like that. The first time I met with her, not a great experience because she asked me four different times if I was planning to lose weight before the wedding. <gasps> oh, you know, oh. Like, no, I feel like I'm, you know, so, I mean, it's just, and I was about the size I am now. You know, just a lot of people do that. I'm like, let's just count on I'll be this size. Or just like, they'll yeah. tell you if that's a thing. Right, like, like you'll have we need to, to order a size yeah, down you have or to whatever. Take it in at the last minute, whatever. You know, like, there's going to be a final <laughs> fitting anyway. It was not great. I think it was a little bit of a cultural thing. Yeah. So it was just that. It was just me meeting with someone. But then I did go to pick bridesmaids' dresses. I went by myself, because I lived in Boston and my bridesmaids lived there, so I just went by myself. I tried on a bunch of dresses and was like, <laughs> standing on the podium. It was really fun because it didn't matter how they looked on me. <laughs> did you have a bunch of masks of your friends' faces? No. <laughs> Part of why I tried on a bunch is because I did the thing where it was like the same fabric but a little bit of a different dress, so I picked out three different dresses. Okay. Yeah. Like thinking, who gets the best one? <laughs> oh, Dang. What color were the dresses? <laughs> I actually wore her dress again. They were kind of like a light purple, maybe periwinkle color. And then Ooh. hers was like a cocktail style. It was strapless and had a little belt kind of and went about to the knee. Yeah, it sounds yeah. pretty. I've been a bridesmaid a few times. I've gone to done the thing where all the women in the family and the bridesmaids will go to David's bridal or whatever. And it's crazy because there are so many people, so many wedding parties in the store. It's just interesting to see eavesdropping and like <laughs> listening. And, I don't know. Like one wedding I was in, I got fitted for it. I had to get like measurements for it. And I took it as a carry-on and my dress didn't make make it oh, no it didn't make it off the plane it went to jamaica <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah so like my my bridesmaid's dress went to jamaica my cousin's fiance he dropped me off at the mall in boston and i'm just like i'll try to find something it was like this midnight blue satin dress and I found like a black dress. <laughs> it's just not easy to find that shit off the rack the day before <laughs> the no, wedding. And, but JetBlue did refund me for everything I had to buy. Oh, that's oh they did? That's yeah. Nice. I sent them an angry tweet, but they didn't reply to me. So I was a little bitter about that. But yeah, I know it, it worked out. Rich had a best man and three groomsmen, and then I had a best man. My friend James was my mm -hmm. best man, so they all went together to like rent tuxes, and they said that was like a really fun day. It was in Portland, so they just went a couple of days before they were getting married, <laughs> so get, everyone getting measured and trying stuff on. They, they that sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> was it like that's a new carry? <laughs> James would be like, I don't have a tuxedo body. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to even have a ceremony. It was just for the parents. It's basically our college besties. Very simple. Oh, so was, I, I mean, it ended up being really cute, but yeah. it was just like, we definitely would have just done a courthouse 
whatever. <laughs> and then the party. The party we were doing no matter what. But yeah, I don't want to bother with all the... Again, no shade to anybody who <laughs> wants to do all that, but that's I'm not into that. I'm all about get to the party. Let's get to the party with as little work as possible. <laughs> I bought stuff online. I'm sure those websites don't even exist anymore. They were basically just like goth boutique. I pieced together a bodice and tool. Like my skirt was like a big black poofy tool. And a, a red corset top. Oh, nice. I wish you had known my brother back in the day because he and Erica, his wife, they had a shop on eBay called Goblin Market. Ooh, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Goblin Market. Yeah. That's, it was that's like cool. in the very beginning of eBay. They just, like, <laughs> That does sound right up my alley. <laughs> I guess I've never like talked about how much that movie meant to me. Yeah, I mean, and that's the kind of thing too about movies that mean something to you, especially if it's like reminds you of your family. Mm-hmm. The way your personal relationship with your family changes over the years yeah. as you get older and things happen to you and things get put in perspective. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah. It is a very emotional movie. Yeah. Does she remind you of your own mom at all? Yeah. Um, sorry. I don't no, no, it's okay. That dad character is very much like my dad, too. So talking about it, I just started getting really teary i guess yeah. i just watched it this week the mom character really made me sad i cry a lot sorry <laughs> we all do <laughs> especially triggers with dad stuff i mm-hmm. think i just like really identified with it a lot so yeah. and then just talking about it made me you know what i mean <laughs> sorry sure no do not apologize i totally get it then like the shitty friends i was wondering if <laughs> Porpoise spit reminded you of Florida anyway. Uh, it did have Florida tones to me. I mean, I think yeah. like some similarities between parts of Australia. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I, I took my mom Christmas shopping and she was looking at stuff for my brother's daughter and we had checked out and we were leaving and this is when she was still able to walk. She had a walker, but she walked out with a stuffed animal, oh. <laughs> but we had already made it to the car and it was so hard to get her anywhere. So we just left with it. I think a lot of people yeah, like have we, a story like where you yeah, and they have like ways to cover that's another stupid thing about I it. know like, and those, those things were just these little cheap flip flops right it would have been fine the store's not gonna go out of business because somebody watched out with a pair of flip flops or a stuffed animal it also just gets me that it's like if she and if they had just said are those your shoes yeah. she would have paid for them she yeah right like she didn't yeah. want to she had a car full yeah. of stuff and I'm gonna save two dollars by right. I just was crying when I watched it. The mom part. I mean, one of my notes was poor Mrs. Heslop, and I just Aww. like kept thinking that over and over again. Yeah. Very tragic character. Yeah. And I wanted to know more about her. In the beginning, Deirdre makes that joke about oh, I bet you were a terror when you were in your twenties. And you wish you were twenty-two again, Betty. Remember that age? Oh yes. What? I bet you were a terror when you were 22. Bill, was she a terror? It's Charlie Chan with that food. Oh, yes. Where is he? I don't like, know. I wish she should know. know what to say. Yeah. She's I do want to know. I'm going to say Bill changes the subject immediately. Well, he doesn't 
want to talk about anything other than himself. Right. I always took that as, like, I feel like he doesn't want to be reminded that there was something that he used to love about her. Because he's having an affair with Deirdre. I think he doesn't want to think about whatever it was when they got yeah. together. That's how I always take that, that he doesn't yeah. want to think about that. That makes sense. The dad character... Ugh. There's so much. My parents got divorced, but led my dad a couple places that I went. He's like, oh, there's this woman here or whatever. Oh, and it was um, Tatiana. What a coincidence. I don't know. It was just, it's very similar. He married this woman, Tatiana. And it was like I met her randomly in, in some places. And then oh, when wow. I finally met her, it was like... Oh, <laughs> you're the lady at this arts fair that we had to go see. Um, so that, like, what a coincidence line really resonates. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. Oh, man. Deidre Chimes. Deidre? Deidre? Hey, Deidre! And she's terrible too. She is, oh my yeah. god, I hate her. She her casual racism. Of course, you know all about makeup. Your wives are probably the geishas. <clears throat> and then, oh my god, I literally flipped off the TV at the end when she was like, she made the ultimate sacrifice. Oh god, oh god I know. And then the light amounted to something. <laughs> God. Weird plastic apron. Oh, I know. And she's like cleaning up the house. They're Gotta just get this. Up the suicide. Yeah. That's why she's cleaning up. She wasn't helping. <laughs> it's like to protect his reputation. They yeah. remove the pills mm -hmm. to make it seem like she didn't kill herself. How is he able to cover that up? He's like, I don't want an autopsy. I don't think it's standard procedure to do an autopsy when someone dies. He's so connected. I think probably wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. I definitely feel for my mom a lot more now that I'm a mom and now that I know yeah. more about my dad. When I was a kid, I kind of was more on my dad's side than I should have been. I feel like I should have shown my mom a lot more sympathy growing up. Both my parents made a lot of mistakes, but I definitely contributed to the emotional abuse of my mom more than I should have on my dad's behalf. Were they divorced or? They should have been, but they didn't get divorced until I graduated from college. Oh. I never knew them to get along. You can't imagine how they got together. These two people were so different. Yeah. Like what drew them together and it was a very long time before I could see what it was that brought them together in the first place. And they just changed way too much and grew apart, but then stayed together for the kids, I guess. I'm <laughs> not really realizing <laughs> Thanks, that that guys. is. Yeah. It's not always better for the kids. The kids end up just seeing two very unhappy people forced to live together. Yeah. That's not really good for you. It's so impressive that yeah. you have such a functional marriage. I marvel at it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's It blows my mind on a daily basis. I'm so lucky that I found my husband. I love him so much. I've thought about this before, but this movie made me think again about can you be a good dad if you're a bad husband? I don't know if you can. I think it's a big part of it. You can be a yeah. good dad and not be married to someone, but can you be a good dad and be married to your kid's mom and treat her like shit? I yeah, like that, that's an interesting... That's not being a good dad. Yeah, yeah. I loved that Mrs. Heslop burned the garden before she... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
that rage of just like burn it down this time around i'm like very worried for perry well she burned it because she got tired of waiting for perry to yeah it. and then the last interaction she has with anyone she's so angry and so upset perry is the one who's yeah. right there like she would be addressing it to anyone get out you're an embarrassment to your brother and he says, no, was... you're the embarrassment and that's the last thing he Ugh. says to her you know? right. yeah that you're... was so and then she di- i know the last time he see him he's just slumped in that chair right just reconciling everything and yeah right you're right he was already in a bad place and then it's like when muriel comes home the kids are all just sort of adrift the older sister's like what am i gonna do without her and she's been almost invisible in the background the whole movie and now she's gone and they're Mm -hmm. finally realizing like how important she was I'm like so blown away that this man wrote this movie that way. But you know, that's another thing is yeah. how so much in a family how a woman's work yeah. is just invisible. They're really gonna see how much she did for them that they never saw yeah. she's gone now. Yeah. Know? And not just the physical work of making tea, but also the emotional work of keeping everybody together. Yeah. They're gonna see the behind the scenes stuff and it's gonna hit them really hard. Right. She was like the wrath. And they were annoyed by it, but I think it did help that she would be there to be like, everybody, you know, calm down, or think of what your father has to do, or think of this or that, or just putting things in perspective. One of the most tragic figures I've seen in the movie. It's really well written. I had read his sister actually did write a check and embezzle money. Oh, his sister. Yeah, that it was based on his sister. His wife is an Australian filmmaker as well, and she did it. Yeah, she did this movie, Proof, which I want to see now. It's got Russell Crowe and the guy from The Matrix that... I hate Russell Crowe, though. Uh, Which guy from The Matrix? Uh, The guy with the glasses. (laughs) Who's the guy that is... The guy with the sunglasses? Yes, uh, that guy, that guy. Australian treasure, you go with He's also a Priscilla Queen of the Desert and Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's Lord Elrond. (laughs) <laughs> I know she also made How to Make an American Quilt, that movie. Oh, oh. Really? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. He decided it had to be ABBA music <laughs> for the movie, and ABBA is very, they don't share their music with anybody, really. So he said, like, he wrote them a letter every week, <laughs> and um, he finally decided, I'm going to go to Sweden and asked them to use the music and he took a picture of his plane ticket and sent it to them and apparently they acquiesced they're like okay you can use our music i have heard that too like with abba they're very guarded with their music with sampling and stuff like madonna used their music for the hung up song it's like disco-y pop And she like wrote them long letters too. Uh-huh. Asking, yeah. <laughs> like getting letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about Priscilla Queen of the Desert, which I think came out the same year? It came out in 1994. Also, that year they were particularly generous to, to Australians. <sighs> That's interesting. I mean, it works so perfectly I in both movies. So well, yeah. yeah. Did he say why Ava meant so much to him? I don't think so. I think it's Mariel's favorite music, mm-hmm. and it. He felt very strongly about it needing to be their music. I had never heard ABBA before, 
seeing. Oh, really? Before that movie? Before seeing that movie, oh. yeah. When I was 15, I guess, is when it came out. Well, I bought their greatest hits and I <laughs> listened to them all the time. And uh, Abba Gold was a fixture in my childhood. Yes, oh, Abba like, Gold. I always put on Abba when she was doing house cleaning. Oh, oh wow. really? Oh, <laughs> That's like her motivational house cleaning music. Uh. And she loved to sing Chicky Tea to me. Oh, that's cute. Tell me what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, Anna's great. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. So there were two lunchtime poll suggestions. The first one was, so she says, my life is like Dancing Queen. Or it's better than Dancing Queen. What Abba song is like your, I guess, your life goal song? Oh. <laughs> What song would we be like, oh, my life is better than this ABBA song? <laughs> and then the other one was, what is your ABBA? What music best reflects your life goals? I'd probably say, okay, I Dancing Queen, I love that song so much. Um, and Fernando is my other favorite <laughs> ABBA really song. Good. And then I'd probably say Madonna. But early Madonna. Not, yeah. not current it's Madonna. Like early, but it's like, <laughs> right, yeah. 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 <laughs> I never get tired of, of early Madonna. My jukebox band was Oasis, and I love Oasis, and I always feel happy yeah. when I hear of it. But as far as like a life goals, like way I want to feel about myself, Lizzo. <laughs> oh, yes! Yeah. Lizzo. She's great. I also love that she will say, I don't always feel great about myself, but I try. Mm-hmm. And I love that, too. It's like you don't have to always feel great about yourself. You just have to always try to love yourself. Yeah. And I just love her so much. <laughs> have you ever seen that Tidy Desk concert? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I just watch it. It's just, it's so good. She's so yeah. cute as hell. Now she's like, I'm the tiniest desk. And the Saturday Night Live? That was so yeah, good. She was, she was really good. I just like the sets of the... Oh, yeah, I really liked her dancers in that. And, and the her costumes. outfits, like her cool steampunk princess dress. Yeah. The second number. Anyway. Uh, well, obviously my artist is Ariana Grande. Yes. Even though it's not what you asked, my life goal song for mm-hmm. her is No Tears Left to Cry. Ooh. Um, yeah. But, you know, I love Ariana Grande, and I love how so much of it is about anxiety and heartbreak, and I yeah. just love her. I I honestly just feel like I just really love her, and right now my life goal song is No Tears Left to Cry, but for ABBA... Probably Dancing Queen. Just yeah. that whole spirit of it is that you're having the time of your life. Yeah. <laughs> like anybody can be that guy. <laughs> that really sums up a lot. You can see why it was so important to use their music. That really sums up the whole movie. It really right there, does. You know, that it's like, I don't really care about the guy or whatever. This is just who I want to be and where I want to yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. How very. I thought of a couple of other ABBA... Well, I guess it's really just one other person who uses ABBA, which is Steve Coogan. Have you ever seen Alan Partridge? A little His bit. character. A little. So he uses Knowing Me, Knowing You, and his son is named Fernando. His character's son oh. is named Fernando. <laughs> and his catchphrase is, aha, like, Knowing Me, Knowing You, aha. Knowing me, knowing you, aha. He loves ABBA. And then I really like the trip series that he does. Alan Partridge is a character, but then he, in this the trip series, he plays a version of himself, but he still talks about it. <laughs> and he has this really great discussion about the winner takes it all and how tragic that song is and the backstory of it. And it's just a very good discussion about it. And then they start singing it to each other. The reason that song is so has so much pain 
is because he wrote the words for her to sing about their breakup, but he wrote the, the lyrics from her point of view. I apologize if it makes you feel sad seeing me so tense. No, no self-confidence. But you see, the winner takes, takes it all. There's like a lot of levels there. And I just think that's a really beautiful song. Anyway, I, <laughs> that was another use of ABBA. Well, and then also aren't those Mamma Mia? Oh, yeah. Like, I never saw them. Maybe it was like after... Oh, the movie, Mama B? After this that they were like, maybe we can just give everyone our music? I think that's how they got into pop culture after Muriel's wedding and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah, they had a bit of a revival. And then they wrote... I think the people in the band wrote Baba Bia, right? Or that's like their musical, I I think they did. I mean, it sounds right to me without looking it up (laughs) that they had a lot of input in Mamma Mia. I don't care for Mamma Mia that much. I think the story is just very shoehorned and... Yeah, it's Not just an excuse to have a bunch of Abba songs. Which we already basically. have. Yeah. Good stories with a lot of heart. <laughs> so just like a, with Abba songs in Like them. basically my two dads, but there's three dads. Yeah. Why can't she find out which one is really her dad? That's like the thing, right? Mm-hmm. There's three and she doesn't know which one. They, they just act like genetic testing doesn't exist or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or like, like, like there's a reason they. I forget so. the reason. But of course, in the end, it's like, I want to have a relationship with all three of you, so it doesn't matter who my yeah. real dad is. But maybe you do find out a real... I don't remember. I watched the movie, but I, I definitely <laughs> watched Mamma Mia. I don't know. Like, all I remember is that I was like, meh. Yeah, I'd rather watch Priscilla Queen in the Desert. This is <laughs> definitely my takeaway. I need that. to watch that again. I haven't seen it in oh, so, it so long. <laughs> yeah. You blow it tonight, girl. And it's keggers with kids all next year. Lucy watched it with me. Oh, did she say how she felt about it? She liked it a lot. I mean, she thought it was so funny. I told her, like, oh, when this movie came out, I related to this so much. And she was very surprised by that. All I remember she really said was that she thought it was so funny. And especially all the stuff with, like, the awful friends. She thought they mm-hmm. were such idiots. And she yeah, yeah. That their scenes were so funny. I love, what are you doing here? We're on Tanya's honeymoon. <laughs> Chuck and come. <laughs> what are they doing here? We're on Tanya's honeymoon. Chuck couldn't come. <laughs> well, do you ever That's think so what you funny. would say to them if them. you saw them now? And she's <laughs> like, <laughs> they're over there. <laughs> when Tanya's telling them what happened, when she's like, couldn't do it, so I... Actually, I noticed there was lipstick on it. I'm what? did. That scene is really good. <laughs> they see each other like, come and have a drink with us. Yeah. If I feel you've changed, I'll tell you. Right. And it's so like... You don't have to feel like you're not good enough for us anymore. <laughs> come and have a drink with us. Yeah. Really? You want to have a drink with me? Well, we can't let you spend the entire holiday alone. Well, we're not in school anymore, Rhonda. You don't have to feel you're not good enough for us now. I don't. If I feel you've changed, I'll tell you. I'm honest. I have had that exact thing happen to me. Oh, going really? to a bar back home. This girl, Grace, is like, she literally said, like, you could sit here. And it was just like, <laughs> nah. Nah, th- thank you. So much of this movie, I f- it's it's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs>
That's something I never had, and I don't feel like I missed out on it at all. I did go back to my hometown a couple times after graduating. It wasn't that many times, and I never spent enough time there to run into people that I saw from high school. I never had any moment of either feeling like I'm not good enough again or a moment of vindication. Never seen anybody. Yeah, I never see any. I go to my hometown every summer. And yeah. I never see any. At this point, I don't know if I would recognize a lot of people. I mean, there's some people on Facebook I'm connected with that yeah. I recognize, but yeah, for the most part, I don't know. I definitely don't crave that in any yeah. way. I'm like, yeah. I'm totally fine without it. Well, when I was still on Facebook, I was noticing a lot of people that were moving back to my hometown. It's just so wild. Like, their kids are going to our oh, elementary here. school. Next year is my 30th reunion. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to go. Yeah. I would have maybe gone, but they want to do it, like, at Thanksgiving. I'm not gonna fly back east over Thanksgiving. Dumb. Those things I feel like are for the people who still live in that town. Yeah. Right. And also feel like you have that curiosity of what people look like now or how people turned out or mm-hmm. something. But, but that's what but Facebook is exactly. for. Exactly. <laughs> that really is the most genius thing about Facebook. It you prevents you from actually yeah. having to see any people that you don't want to see. And you right. can still satisfy your morbid curiosity about them. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about Facebook, like another th- being connected to the people that you grew up with, and then you see all these political posts, just like, that's what you think? <laughs> this is see, awful. I knew that that's what they all thought. Right. <laughs> they told me yeah. at the time. Yeah. And that's why I was like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> not wait to get out of here. No, yeah. As far away as I could for a reason. I found my note. I don't know why I convinced myself that he didn't know anybody. PJ Hogan based Muriel's personality on himself, so it was based oh. on himself. But oh. I mean, he's still a man. It sounds like a heterosexual, a cis yeah. heterosexual man. I guess. So interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's really beautiful that he was able to write a very nuanced female character. Yeah. He gender flipped himself. That's so interesting. I would love to know his thought process of why he thought that would play better. Gender flipped? Most movies would be better gender flipped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they often are when you hear that. Yeah. As we will discuss eventually about Alien, the most famous fact about Alien being that Ripley was written as a man. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the TV set? The Jake uh-uh. Casting movie? Um, I did see it. I love yes. that movie. Yes. Her character also in that movie was written as a man. And oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. That's just what you <laughs> do as a Gordy Bear. She can do anything. She can. She's really great. I found this really good article from The Guardian. I guess they have this series called My First Film, and they had one with... PJ Hogan, he said, I've always said Muriel was me, but in fact, the story was inspired by my sister. And then the interview was like, was she still living in Tweed Heads? It says, yes, she and my father had a very stormy relationship. They got her a job selling cosmetics, but she embezzled oh. money from him. Forging his signature on the check, and when the shit hit the fan, she disappeared. She was missing for almost a year. And then she finally called me. She'd been living in Sydney for a year with a friend, but was too scared to contact anyone because she'd stolen close to 15000 and There was no way she could pay it back. I felt it was a good beginning for a story. I had also been toying with this idea for a story of a young girl who longs to get married. 
and then I put the two together. Anyway, this is a really yeah, good article. I got into like a, you know, rat hole reading <laughs> all of it. But he and his wife, they have four children and two of their children are autistic and she had to stop filmmaking. She took care, care of for the, the kids. kids and then she sort of had to come back with I don't know. She's done something recently, but she took quite a bit of years off. There's another good article about that. Did he write that movie after they had kids? I think it was before they had kids. It was his second movie, and they both had some success, so they got money and then had the money to make Mm -hmm. Muriel's Wedding, and then they said they were on a tight schedule to make it because they wanted to get it into the Cannes Film Festival because if... You're an Australian filmmaker and you want your movie to go anywhere, you need to have it in the Cannes Festival. And he talked about how Tony Collette got this 15 minute standing ovation and, oh, and well. nobody recognized her because <laughs> I guess oh, she she, she had lost like 60 pounds. She gained weight for the role and then lost weight for like, she gained yeah. weight for the beginning of the movie, like the first part of the movie, and then lost weight to film the second part. Or did they do the other way around? Yeah, she gained weight for the movie. Yeah. And then lost it again. Did they film the second part first, maybe? Oh, I don't know. Because she's back to her regular frame at the end. They very clearly show <laughs> that transformation. She's one of those people where she looks pretty great no matter I what. Know. I mean, apparently, like, 40 pounds doesn't make a difference on her. Like, but, like, you can still tell that yeah. she still looks great in, I know. in all forms. It's weird like she's treated like she's so fat but it's so like there's so many characters in movies where they're the fat person or whatever and it's like they're normal looking i don't know yeah that's one of those chicken and egg things a little bit so i had a chubby period in high school (laughs) and was shamed into an eating disorder but when i look back on those pictures i'm like oh no that's pretty normal like i felt huge but I was like, no, that was a pretty sort of normal shape for a 12-year-old to be. But then were the girls being mean to me because of their own personal thoughts about what bodies should look like? Or were they being affected by society? That yeah. Means. Definitely the women in this movie would, were affected by societal Yeah, standards. for sure. Your body is great at any size as long <laughs> as you feel good. But in terms of societal standards, they were like... You're bigger than us, so you're not right. you're not good enough. It's so difficult to discuss this stuff because we're so conditioned. It's a cult mentality. It's just beaten into us. It's yeah. been beaten into us before we were around because my mom had it, that internalized idea of what a body should look like from her mother and yeah. <laughs> where that came from before that because we didn't really have media back then and her mother came from the depression era but somehow her mom had an idea about how big a girl's waist should be and so my mom was like crash dieting in middle school and passed that on to me and I'm trying to end the cycle but you know it's so hard because yeah. it's just when you're so impressionable. It is, <laughs> it's something yeah. that, like, I feel like this generation of women are struggling with so much. It's because we all know now that it doesn't matter, but it's still so hard to break the conditioning. My mom was... She was always so skinny, and when I was in fifth grade, I was taller than her, and I weighed more than her, and I felt somehow that was wrong. I'm not supposed to weigh more than my mom or something, and then like in sixth grade, I was pretty chubby in middle school, and I was on the slim fast plan when I was 12, 
And I still remember the commercials of Tommy Lasorda. Like, (laughs) that was me, Elizabeth Ashley, before I lost weight. It's crazy. I was on the Richard Simmons diet when I was nine. <laughs> I don't love talking about this kind of thing, but oh, yeah. yeah, but I mean, I don't remember a time in my life before feeling like there's too much of me, you know what I mean? You look at mm-hmm. like little kids running around in their bathing suits, whatever, like I honestly don't remember a time where I wasn't like conscious of that. It becomes hardwired somehow. Yeah. I remember exactly when that bathing suit thing flipped for me. Yeah. I remember the oh. moment. Because I was always wearing two pieces because it's easier to pull off when you have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And I was like sitting down next to a friend and I had a little roll and she poked my roll and she was like, what's this? What's this? Why do you have that? And I was instantly shamed and I got a one piece and I didn't go back to wearing two pieces until well into my 20s when I was like, fuck it. How old were you? Probably like maybe eight or nine years old. It's pre-puberty. Yeah. You just don't know what your body's supposed to look like because it's changing all the time, right? You don't know that it's okay to change and that's just going to keep morphing and you don't even know what the end result's going to be and it's all fine. You just don't know that and the kids don't know that either. It wasn't this girl's fault, right? She was just like, my belly doesn't do that. What is yours? Right. And I don't think she meant to make me feel bad, but it happened and that was it. (laughs) It was the switch flipped, you know? Yeah. (laughs) so fucked up I'm trying to tell my daughter you have to be taller than me I want you to be taller than me I want you to be like so big and strong I'm so conscious of not ever saying anything bad about my body in front of her and I've always been that way and even when she says stuff to me like she'll be like your butt jiggles and I'm like yep it sure does (laughs) even though inside I'm dying (laughs) yep It's totally cool with my butt does that. <laughs> and even then she still gets stuff from, she's like, I don't want to get fat. And I'm like, I want you to be healthy. What, what do you say to that? You're like, I just want you to be healthy and feel good about yourself. And yeah. you're beautiful. And also being beautiful That's isn't good. the most important thing. I know, I know, right? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's yeah. what I tell her. I'm like, you're so pretty. Not that that's important. It's important to be pretty, but it's not. It doesn't mean anything at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is such a tangent, but I think it's an important tangent anyway. Jamila Jamil, who... Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's yeah. so great in her I Weigh campaign. Yeah. You know about that? Yeah. For people listening who don't know, she started this thing on Twitter that's like, I weigh, and she says things about her that are more than her appearance. Like, I weigh all these things that I've done and the kind of person I am. In addition to that, she's like, it's so fucked up that we're so conditioned to take up as little space as possible because that really is what being small and being a size zero is all about. It's like, I'm not here. Right. I don't don't mind me. I don't exist because I'm so tiny. She's like, be proud of taking up space and... I just fucking love that. Just that whole idea. I'm here and I exist and I am taking up space because I matter. I'm going to start crying. (laughs) I just love that so much. She's just such an angel. (laughs) I've seen people try to drag her by being like, well, you can say that because you're a fucking supermodel. She's like, well, it's up to me to say these things. Right. (laughs) <laughs> right, if, if it was someone, you know, conventionally unattractive saying it, they'd say, well, you're just bitter. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And she's been there. She's had an eating disorder and felt that way, and she still has complicated feelings about her body, but she yeah. addresses them and talks about them. And she's, like, my goal in terms of how I want to feel about myself and talk about myself. Yeah. She posted a, a photo of herself recently, and she just looks very 
thin and she's like this is an event I didn't want to go to because I thought I was going to be the fattest person there. It was something to that effect and it's sort of like her reflection of looking at the picture now. I really like what she's doing. I think it's really important. I think this is good. This is really good. This is how we should celebrate Valentine's Day. <laughs> With RuPaul, you can't love yourself. How the hell are you going to love somebody else? Yeah. <laughs> and our friends. I'm mm. so glad that you got to see this movie. I can't believe you had never seen this. I can't either. Yeah. I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Well, I will say a line that really resonated with me. It wasn't a, like, a favorite line because it hurt to hear, but because I had that moment of trying to change before I embraced being a weirdo I was trying to buy all the right clothes and I remember going to the gap because that's where everybody is oh shop because the they were always yeah. like the clothes are so weird and I didn't get it because I was like well I just I thought I was buying the right clothes so I was like well, well if we go to the actual store I like beg my mom to take me to the gap and get like these outfits that I thought were like what everyone else was wearing and the mean girls were like you aren't fooling us like what? And it's like, so that line about you'll still be you. I I know I'm not normal, but I'm trying to change. I'm trying to become more like you, more of a... It's too late. But I can change. You'll still be you. Oh, yeah. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, you can try to dress the part, but we know who you really are. And then yeah. I was like, all right, I guess uh, that's who I really am then. Wow. And that was... It was sad, but it was good. It was a good moment for me, too. It's such a bait and switch. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Right. <laughs> That's why I never wanted to go back there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to my poor biscuits. We all had our poor biscuits, right. didn't we? That was a great discussion, guys. Yeah. I love you. I love you all. Oh. <laughs> You're all wonderful beautiful and kind. On the next episode of Paid and Puke, we get curious about Lana and Lily Wachowski's 1996 crime thriller, Bound, starring Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. Paid and Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Paid and Puke Pod, or join us on Facebook at Paid and Puke Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid and Puke, Please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.